The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Tuesday edition of the PFT PM Podcast. Have a conversation coming up with Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports, who had a report earlier today about Aaron Rodgers and his attitude as it relates to the extent to which the team did or didn't involve him in the decision-making processes that resulted in the firing of quarterbacks coach Alex Van Pelt and the termination of the contract previously held by receiver Jordy Nelson. That's coming up momentarily. It is worth your time. Second straight day with a compelling interview despite my involvement in it, with someone who has a story that really gets our attention, peel back the curtain, talk about it a little bit more, give it some context, give it some flavor. And I think that's something I'm going to try to do, this PFTPM thing that I've committed to continue. I feel like the less it's my voice and the more it's someone else's voice, maybe the better it will be. But we'll see how that plays out. A couple of things to touch on. And first of all, let me just say this. As someone who went 17 years without flying, Not because I have fear of flying, but because I have fear of dying while flying. There's been a passenger casualty for the first time in nine years. Flying has gotten extremely safe. This is not going to shake my faith in getting on a plane and going where I have to go. It is far more dangerous, relatively speaking, to be in a car. The only difference is in a car, you typically don't know it's coming. I don't like the idea of being up there and knowing that there's some period of time that's going to be passed before, you know, the plane is down there. But my condolences to the person and the family members of uh, the individual who was killed when an explosion occurred with an engine midair and apparently something got into the cabin. And, uh, you know, I I had a, a case a long time ago involving someone who was responsible for doing work on engine parts when they refurbished the engines of a, of a jet aircraft and uh, issues regarding the quality there and the problems that can happen if there are any, any issues that compromise those parts as they essentially rebuild the engine from scratch and put it all back together again. And one of the risks that, that we, we talked about in that case and one of the reasons I, I pressed very aggressively for the rights of the individual who had had raised some of these concerns about the safety issues of the airplane engines. It it related to this exact same thing, an engine coming apart in midair and pieces of the engine making their way into the cabin and injuring passengers, killing passengers and possibly bringing down the airplane. So th- this one struck a chord with me. And uh, I, just a quick aside, news of the day, it was kind of a stunner. We hear about a lot, you know, a lot of emergency landings, but typically everybody gets off the plane okay. This is one of those very rare occasions where there's an emergency landing and at least one person on the plane uh, loses his or her life because of it. Okay, uh, no good way to do a segue, so let's just move on to the topics of the day for the PFTPM podcast. The kickoff is destined to go away. And I think... 
Dan Patrick and his guys were talking about it earlier today. They had Mike Westhoff, the long-term special teams coach, call in and say that he prefers that we not minimize special teams play. And look, none of these things matter. Issues like guys who are valuable for the purposes of playing on the kickoff return team, playing on the kickoff coverage team, and without those those teams without that opportunity, without that skill set, that person wouldn't be in the NFL. Matthew Slater, the longtime Patriot special teamer, spoke about that today in comments to the media. The NFL and the NFLPA aren't going to care about that. The NFL doesn't care about it because they're just trying to take away what they have called for years the most dangerous play in the game. And you can't call it the most dangerous play in the game. You can't and allow it to continue to exist. The strategy for dealing with the most dangerous play in the game isn't to say, well, we'll try to create a scenario where we don't do it as often as we used to, right? If you have a dangerous condition, you eradicate it. It gets back to what we were talking about earlier, and I learned a lot about unsafe workplace conditions when I was practicing law. You eradicate them. You don't just try to avoid them. Like, well, that's an unsafe piece of equipment. Well, we'll use it as rarely as we possibly can. It's still there. We still have to use it. We'll just try to set up the workflow so we don't have to use it as often as we used to because it's the most dangerous piece of equipment in the factory. It's nonsensical when you think of it that way. So I personally think the chipping away at the kickoff that we've seen in recent years from moving the kickoff point from the 30 back to the 35, the touchback from the 20 to the 25, the new change in the NCAA where you can call a fair catch anywhere inside the 25 and get it at the 25. This is all aimed at making the kickoff irrelevant to the point where we just won't accept when they get rid of the kickoff. We're going to be clamoring to just go ahead and get rid of the kickoff already. Would you please just get rid of the kickoff? Because it's now meaningless. And I think that's where it's going. Slater said today, to take away the kickoff, I really think it would be tragic. And that's not an appropriate word as it relates to what the NFL is trying to do here. It is appropriate, but not appropriate at the same time, if that makes any sense. Because what the NFL is trying to avoid is a true tragedy. It's not tragic if they take away the kickoff. It's tragic if someone dies on the field because of a broken neck sustained while running two guys at each other full speed, dipping their helmets at the point of impact and causing a spinal cord to be severed. That is the tragedy the NFL is trying to avoid. So it is an appropriate word because it really does dovetail into what the NFL is trying to avoid happening. It's not appropriate because there's nothing tragic about who cares if the kickoff goes away, especially now after the kickoff's been neutered, been gutted. Who cares? Just bring on the alternative. And by all appearances, the alternative, a 4th and 15 play where you can either punt, you can go for it, you can fake punt, whatever, that seems to be where this is heading. And people will say, well, isn't the punt dangerous? No, it's not. Not like a kickoff. Because you have contact at the line of scrimmage between the guy who's covering the punt and the guy who's trying to block for the punt returner. The gunner has resistance the whole way down. You don't have that moment where two guys are running at each other long enough to develop full speed and full momentum, and it's Newtonian physics when the two guys meet, going in equal and opposite directions, full speed ahead. The potential for serious injury is greater. So the kickoff just needs to go. It just needs to go. We're at the point where nothing is served by keeping it, and I think we are getting to the point collectively where we understand it's going away, so just be done with it already the schedule coming out soon and one thing I'd like to point out I haven't heard anything 
about when the schedule is coming. Usually by now there's a clue, there's a nugget, there's a report, there's a something. We're in that window. Tuesday the 17th, Wednesday the 18th, Thursday the 19th. We're in that window where the schedule is going to come. I've yet to find anything suggesting that the schedule release is imminent. Now, if it's not this week, it's got to be early next week, unless they've decided who cares if it comes out before the draft. Typically, not even typically, always the schedule's out before the draft. And it's really kind of strange to think that a team would be making draft picks based upon when they play Aaron Rodgers versus when they play Mitch Trubisky versus when they face this guy, when they face that guy. But I, I think that it's at least a relevant factor because if you're going to face a really good offense or a really good defense right out of the gates, maybe you do think differently about your third-round pick or your fourth-round pick. I, I, I don't know. They overthink everything, so it wouldn't surprise me if they factor that in. I don't know that it really matters. All I know is the NFL likes to have that schedule out there before the draft. So maybe that'll be the headline. Maybe the schedule comes after the draft. Maybe they've decided that instead of dropping the schedule in the midst of the pre-draft preparation and taking away some of the attention from the spinning of the wheels that will continue incessantly over the next nine days, maybe... We get through the draft and we find out about the schedule in what otherwise would be a dead spot in the middle of May. Maybe that's what happens. Now, people who are going to make travel plans and hotel reservations, et cetera, the sooner they know when and where the games are going to be. They know the where, they know the who, they don't know the when. They can set up their travel arrangements. But it wouldn't surprise me if the NFL makes a strategic decision to delay the schedule release until after the draft just because that creates another little mini tent pole they can jam into the ground at some point after the draft has come and gone. I mean, if people are going to freak out and fill a stadium to find out basically information you can get on your phone, it's a list of names that's going to be read off one after the other, maybe there's a way they can turn the schedule release into an even bigger made-for-TV event, especially, especially if you can clear it from the final stages of draft preparation. Either way, schedule coming at some point before week one. Newsflash, we will know the NFL regular season schedule before the regular season begins. We'll know in nine days whether or not the Bills draft a quarterback in round one. We talked about this earlier today, and I wanted to elaborate on this a little bit. I don't want to be overly critical of the Bills. I mean, the problem is it became too obvious that they were targeting a quarterback at the top of the draft. And now they're stuck with the task of having to cram toothpaste back into the tube if, in turn, they ultimately don't go quarterback. I saw some tweets today from the Bills official account trying to push back against the idea of taking a quarterback. Oh, you can still get a great player at 12. Not as great as a player you can get at, at 3 or 4 or 5 if you trade up and if you get a guy who ends up being good. But I think what's happened is the Bills have realized the price to get up to the top five is more than they want to pay. Why is it more than they want to pay? Because everybody knows they want to get to the top five. They're motivated to get to the top five. When you are driven to do a deal and you're dealing with someone who's very shrewd on the other side, what happens? They stick it to you. I mean, even though Dave Gettleman, the new Giants GM, and Brandon Bean, who is presiding over his first draft as the Bills GM, even though they work together in Carolina, do you really think Gettleman's going to go easy on the guy? Gettleman's job is to win. 
How does he win? He gets the most possible value out of every draft pick he has. And if he's going to give up the second overall pick in the draft, he is going to come away with the biggest possible haul that he can. And if he knows he's dealing with somebody who has to get into the top five, who has to get a franchise quarterback, what are you going to do? You're going to ask for less? You're going to ask for more. I want two first-round picks, two second-round picks, two third-round picks, next year's first-round pick, and throw in LaShawn McCoy for good measure because we were going to take Saquon Barkley. So I think the Bills are realizing that while it was easy last year to pick up an extra first-round pick, when I don't think they were thinking about this move to get a franchise quarterback, especially since it was before Doug Whaley had been fired. But when they moved from 21 to 12 this year, they were compiling the ammunition. They were working their way into what we thought they were going to do. And I continue to be a firm believer that the Bills are committed to finding a franchise quarterback because Sean McDermott's the head coach of the Bills by virtue of the fact that he benefited from working with a franchise quarterback in Carolina. Brandon Bean is the GM by virtue of the fact that he benefited from working with a franchise quarterback. Franchise quarterbacks get people hired and keep people employed. The lack of a franchise quarterback gets people fired. So job number one, let's get a franchise quarterback. And it very well may be that they've recognized the Browns aren't trading number one overall. The Giants aren't trading number two overall, absent a huge, huge return. The Jets are ready to take a quarterback at three that maybe the Bills would love to get. All the more reason for the Bills to overpay to cut line in front of the Jets at three. At four, maybe the Browns will trade down by then. You may have three quarterbacks gone. And by five, who knows what happens. So it's two or nothing, it feels like, for the Bills. Unless they could convince the Browns to part ways with the first overall pick. But either way, you're going to have to give up a lot. Because number one, everybody knows the Bills want a quarterback. Number two, everybody knows they have ammunition to trade up. And number three, the fact that the Jets are sitting there at number three makes it even more important for the Bills to do what they have to do to get to the top of the stack. Speaking of the draft and an item I saw today from Michael McCarthy of SportingNews.com, the fact that the NFL has the ability, if it chooses to do so, to put the draft on other networks, so it's no longer just, as we know, ESPN and NFL Network, Fox is involved now. And we thought that was what part or that was part of what Fox got when it paid for Thursday Night Football. But the reality is this, according to McCarthy, the NFL can still sell the rights to televise the draft to other networks. There's no exclusivity. It's one of the reasons why ESPN's a little miffed. Well, Fox may end up a little miffed as well because the coverage could be further diluted if it goes to NBC or CBS. Now, it would have to be on the mothership of both of those two networks, not CBS Sport Network or NBCSN. But, but, the quote that really stuck with me, the idea that there are league executives who want to make the draft like a presidential election where it's on every network simultaneously. Think about that. A meeting to read off a list of names, something that can be done without a get-together, without any fanfare, especially in this day and age. Back in the 30s, what are they going to do? They got to get everybody in the same room. That was the extent of the technology. Telephone and face-to-face. Now you have all these different ways you can communicate instantaneously. You could text in your picks. But this draft that has grown and grown and grown as a televised event, the idea that something like that, that there would be a demand for it, prime time on a Thursday night on all the major networks, think about that. 
Really, only matters of national politics get that kind of play. Presidential election, presidential address, a big-time presidential address. A lot of them just get tucked onto cable now. So the idea that the NFL would at some point have the draft on ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, ESPN, and NFL Network. It's amazing when you think about it. And it just shows that they've realized, and this is, you know, for all the things that Roger Goodell can be criticized about, he took a show that truly is about nothing. The draft is really a show. What they do at the draft, the fanfare at the draft, it's really about nothing. And they've turned it into something. This traveling show that brings out thousands of people, it's amazing. Tens of thousands of people will show up in Dallas. Millions will watch on TV. And if they could pull this off, where it's on CBS and NBC along with Fox, ESPN, and NFL Network. I forgot about ABC. Throw it on ABC as well. Complete the process. Millions will watch. And, you know, the other side of this coin, it could be that the NFL is putting that possibility out there to get somebody to pay for exclusivity. Remember when the NFL finagled a huge payment from EA Sports? to get the exclusive right to make the only NFL video game. There's value in exclusivity. And maybe you demonstrate the value by going a year or two by putting it on every network. Maybe somebody steps up and says, okay, enough of this. We want all of it. And isn't that the best way to do it? You create a maximum audience across all platforms. And then you say, okay, we're going to sell the right to be the only network that harvests all this traffic and all this interest and leverages all this this additional audience that we have by blanketing all TV. We're going to sell it to one network. And the NFL didn't get to the point where it's a multi-billion dollar business because there's a bunch of stupid people there. Sometimes they do some stupid things and we're here to point it out when it happens. And I'd like to think that they appreciate it instead of get upset, although they tend to get upset. I will say this, they've handled this draft masterfully because I can't recall any other thing in sports where so little substance turned into so much sizzle and money and interest and ultimately profit for the people who own the NFL teams. All right. Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports, had a conversation with him earlier. So without further ado, here is my discussion with Charles Robinson regarding his report about Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Okay, joining us now here on the PFTPM podcast, as promised, Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports on a couple of important things I'd like to talk to him about. Charles, first, let me say hello. Thanks again for some of your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. I was very intrigued by your story today, in part because I'm always paying very close attention to the dynamics between Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. The longer he's with the team, the closer he gets to his natural expiration date, the closer he gets to the end of his contract, there's a chance that something clunky or awkward is going to happen. Your reporting focuses on something clunky or awkward that relates to the relationship between the team and the player regarding his involvement or lack thereof in certain key decisions that affect him. Give me a snapshot, a thumbnail, a nutshell version of what you reported earlier today. So basically what I reported is, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I had a chance to speak to a couple people close to Aaron and specifically about the frustration that he felt, or that was more their term, the frustration he was feeling over the departure of quarterbacks coach Alex Van Pelt in February and then, obviously the the loss of Jordy Nelson in free agency and more to how it spoke to the way the, the franchise engaged Aaron Rodgers, And um, not so much that Aaron Rodgers 
is necessarily looking for any kind of control in the franchise, but maybe more inclusion in you know some of the decisions that affect him pretty directly. And, and look, a quarterback's coach, I guess you can say what you want about roster management with players, but a quarterback's coach in particular, who is usually one of the closest allies um, and in a way a consigliere for a, a quarterback on a roster, having a guy like that depart um, and not really having a meaningful conversation with Aaron Rodgers about that until the decision was already made, I think really is, is sort of the problem or the way it was termed to me, the, the frustration and, and what has caused, you know, Aaron Rodgers to, to get emotional. And, you know, having these conversations, obviously you frame them in, in the reality that Aaron Rodgers is uh, working on a contract extension. He's, he's in what he's entering into year six of a seven year deal. So he's got two years left and essentially two franchise tags on top of that. So really it's almost a four year deal. And, you know, how these things, I guess, how the front office is engaging Aaron um, with some of these key decisions, you know, weighs on his mindset when he thinks about the contract extension and really his his relationship with the team. None of that is to say Aaron Rodgers wants out. None of that is to say Aaron Rodgers wants control. But at the very least, I, I think Aaron Rodgers wants some inclusion in some of those key, you know, things that happen with the roster um, and, you know, I, I've seen some of his reaction today to the story. It's unfortunate. I don't, I don't know if, you know, Aaron wants to specifically deny anything in the story. I am happy to hear him do that. Uh, but to me, it, I feel like Aaron Rodgers is playing a little of the PR game, um, that he has over the past few years. I mean, he said some, you know, some, he spoke a little bit of his own dis- dissatisfaction, this off season. And now all of a sudden I think he's terming some of that to be fake news, which is, which is interesting to me. I I feel like sometimes he can't just pick a line and stay on it. As I reflect on your answer, Charles, I have this lingering image of Michael Cohen as the quarterback's coach of the Green Bay Packers. Once you said the word (laughs) consigliere, I could not get Michael Cohen, more specifically Ben Stiller playing Michael Cohen on the sideline with Aaron Rodgers out of my mind, but that's a different issue altogether. And that's a non-political statement, anyone. It's just a reflection of the news of the day and how it creeps into our discourse. But I think consigliere, I think Bob Hagan, I now think Michael Cohen. Okay, Let, let me break this down as it relates to what was or wasn't done when it comes to the decision to move on from Alex Van Pelt, the quarterback's coach slash consigliere, and Jordy Nelson, his favorite receiver by all appearances on the team. Did he even yeah. know these moves were happening before they popped up as news alerts on his phone? I don't, I don't think he really understood either move until it was extremely late in the process. So, like, for example, Van Pelt, um, you know, there's backstory to that. I, I can't speak to the entire backstory except to say that he and Mike McCarthy were, were not on the same page. And it was clear that, you know, Mike wanted to make some changes. And when, when Brian Gutekunst took over, you know, as general manager, or when it was, you know, really heading in that direction, it was no secret inside the Packers franchise that, um, you know, Van Pelt, there was, there was a chance that Van Pelt may depart. And, you know, from what I understood, Rodgers would have liked to have been a part of the conversation and, in his mind, affect the process, essentially find a way, you know, to work this out. And and frankly, I think if Van Pelt was being honest about it, too, I think Van Pelt would say that, that he would have preferred to be uh, remain with the Green Bay Packers and remain 
um, a coach of Aaron Rodgers, and they could not work that out. And I just feel, from what I've been told, Rodgers just felt that, you know, this was something that by the time it got to him, it was so late in the process that he felt like the decision had been made. And really without, um, I I think he even said I wasn't consulted at one point um, this offseason that it took him by surprise. So it's not like he really even hit it. Um, and then, you know, Jordy Nelson, that was another factor that from, from the way it was explained to me, um, he did not know really that they were moving on from Jordy until the front office had kind of made that decision. And they came to him and said, here's the deal with Jordy. This is why we're doing what we're doing. And effectively from, you know, from the way it was explained to me, they pretty much said to Aaron Rodgers, they didn't feel like Jordy Nelson had anything left in the tank. And if you're Aaron Rodgers, you're the quarterback. Okay. Now, granted, Jordy Nelson's your friend. But who on that, I, I would argue that there are a few personnel evaluators, even if you're watching tape, who understand their wide receivers better than the quarterback does. And I think that's something that enters into Aaron Rodgers' mind. And so I feel like, from what I've been told, when he had that, that conversation with Brian Gutekunst after it was clear that Jordy Nelson was going to be let go, and after actually Aaron was informed by Jordy, um, you know, he, uh, Rogers felt like, Hey, I, I didn't really have a chance to really even weigh in on this and kind of share my opinion. Maybe not even, maybe we don't even come to an agreement or we don't agree with my assessment, but at the very least, I think Rogers felt like he could have been included in the process in a, in a little more respectful manner than he ultimately was. And I understand the point that if they don't even ask you what you think and they make a decision diametrically opposed to what you would say, the impression is we don't care what you think and we don't care if you object and we don't care if you disagree. You just work here, keep your mouth shut, throw the football and cash your checks. And a point that I made earlier today, Charles, you know, I understand that there aren't many other, if any other quarterbacks that have that luxury of being consulted on personnel matters. I don't think they talked to Tom Brady, for example, before they drafted Jimmy Garoppolo, but there is something to be said for a guy having some input, some role. If you want the quarterback to be an extension of the coaching staff, and this isn't just Rodgers, this is anybody. If you want this guy to be the liaison between coaching staff and player and be that example and be that guy that helps the coaching staff get their message across, at some level I think it's fair philosophically to include these guys because you want them to act like management. You need to treat them at least at times like they're part of management. Right. And, and, I mean, there's – even if you don't rise to the level of, hey, you know, we're going to ask you, you know, to deliver an opinion and, and, you know, tell you that that opinion could weigh in the process, make the call. You know, I mean, that's that's part of, I think, where this where some of the quote unquote what was told to me to be, you know, disappointment or, you know, frustration and, and Aaron being emotional was sort of feeling like you were the last stop on the on the train route you know that, that by the time it got to you it was done and that you know you could have made the call earlier in the process at least as you said to kind of let someone know hey you're valued you're valued in this process we know what you are we know you're the centerpiece um you are a valued player and i don't think aaron Rodgers would deny um that or maybe i mean i, I don't know again I, I don't know what where aaron's head is at with the pr game but i mean i would hope he he could be honest and just say, hey, you know, it would have been great if I could have gotten a phone call a little earlier in the process. I, I saw today he said he talked about knowing his role and going out and playing quarterback. And, 
Um, that's their job. This is my job. I get it. To me, though, that's a parsing of words that's essentially saying, hey, they've made it clear to me that this is what my job is. It's to play quarterback and go out and play quarterback. Their job is to make those personnel decisions. They get to me when they get to me. And and now I know that that is really the way that this is structured. I think that's what he was saying today before he decided at some point to, to try and cry out like fake news. Well, on the other side of that, too, there's a disconnect between what Aaron Rodgers is going to say publicly and what he may say privately. Right. I think we all feel that way. We all encounter frustrations in our lives that we would characterize one way for the world and another way for the people who are directly involved in that process or people who are counseling us, people who are there to hear what sure. we have to say. And I want to go back to something you mentioned. You used the word emotional in an answer you gave me earlier. You used emotional in your article that you wrote today. Do you have any flavor, any examples, anything specific as to how emotion was conveyed by Aaron Rodgers as it relates to his concern about the Van Pelt and the Nelson decisions? Well, you know, being careful here in terms of the individuals that I talk to, you know, in those situations, I can, and I want you I to be. I'm not. I'm not trying to do an scenario happened. I'm not trying to do an um, end run around the notion that I don't want you to disclose your sources. So don't don't right. think I'm trying to to pull a fast one. But I'm still just curious right, yeah, if there's yeah. something you no, can I share. You. I, look, I, I can say this. You know, I, there's no doubt that when each scenario played out, that Rogers, the people that are close to him and that are on his inner circle. He was, you know, he he reacted emotionally to both, you know, sort of without characterizing exactly what he said or how he broke it down, you know. And and I think he's admitted that, you know, there was a, an element of frustration in both of those situations. And and I, you know, Jordy Nelson's a good example. Um, you know, when you when he ends up speaking to Jordy Nelson, and that and that's kind of how he finds out from Jordy that, Hey, look, you know, this is, it's over, you know, I'm, I'm going to be moving on. And, and it's sort of the Packers are sort of phasing me out or they were going to phase me out, even if I stayed and they're not going to make a commitment to me. And the contract offer is really poor. Um, you know, I, I think Aaron Rodgers in that moment, knowing this is his friend knowing this is someone that he still believes in um, as a player, uh, I would say he expressed <laughs> in, in some emotional terms to the people closest to him that, you know, he did not agree with that decision. And then, you know, I think as time went on, I think it, and he had, you know, the conversation with Brian Gutekunst, I think he, he felt like, you know, wow, I'm, I'm just hearing this. It's already over. You know, you, you're calling me just to tell me this. You're not really calling me, um, to have a dialogue about this or a conversation about this player or hear my thoughts or anything. So, um, you know, it's, I, I think he's, I will say this for Rogers. He's been subtle, but I mean, he said enough this off season that for anyone to think that there isn't frustration there for anyone to think that, you know, there isn't emotion there. I would be absolutely kidding themselves. And the fact that this is happening in the midst of, you know, a hopeful contract extension negotiation and, and being wildly underpaid right now for, for his position, having, you know, this idea or this thought process that, well, geez, one doesn't affect another. I mean, that's the, that's the relationship that he has with the franchise right now. And then he's talking about an extension that's going to make him a Packer the rest of his life. Um, you know, of course, you, you, when you're going to sign up for any job the remainder of your life, 
you know, you look at the people around you and you, you would naturally ask, do these people respect me and respect what I bring to the table in terms of my knowledge? Yeah, if they're paying him $33 million a year right now, he's probably less inclined to be upset if they dump his friends. If he feels like he's grossly underpaid and he's being passed by by guys who have accomplished collectively less than he has in the NFL. He's at 22, and it started really a couple of years ago when Luck hit 24-5, and then Carr hits 25, Stafford pushes it to 27, Garoppolo 27-5. What's Garoppolo ever done? If you're Rodgers, that's the obvious question. And now you have Kirk Cousins at 28 in the same division. Two of the highest-paid quarterbacks in the NFL, two of the three highest-paid quarterbacks are in the same division, and between them, they've never won a playoff game. So I can understand Rodgers frustration there do we know though whether or not any of his frustration with his contract is being manifested because i think he's been treading lightly on that charles because he signed up through 2019 and if he complains about his contract somebody's going to say hey you say smart guy who went to cal you committed through 2019 that's your name on the contract you should have known the salary cap was going to go up and you were eventually going to be woefully underpaid Right. I, I don't think he's going to go there. You know, I mean, I, I, I think he's, like you said, I mean, look, Aaron Rodgers is no dummy. Like, he, he's not going to wade into territory that is, there's there's no win in that situation. I mean, even if it is Aaron Rodgers, by and large, um, fans always tend to side with, with franchises over players. And, you know, the, as you said, he's still got two years left on his deal. It was It was a hefty deal when he initially signed it. I think no one probably could have fully understood, although I guess if they looked at the TV money close enough, they would have understood that the market was going to change pretty drastically for all free agents and in particular quarterbacks. Um, but, you know, yeah, he did sign it, and I, and I think he probably knows there's no upside, you know, to really getting into a public debate uh, about, you know, contract numbers or things of that nature. Um, you know, and I think by the same token, too, he has an agent. He has, you know, David Dunn's a, a top end agent he's very you know very well respected he's a guy that the packers have a relationship with and i actually think behind the scenes there is a i think the packers hope that david dunn is able to keep this whole extension everything you know on the rails you know they're they're essentially looking at him saying aaron's going to get paid there's no doubt about that but let's also not kid ourselves aaron's not going anywhere He's under contract for two, and then we have two franchise tags on top of that. The teams and agents, you know how it is, Mike. They do the dance. They know what the number of years are. David Dunn knows it. Aaron's playing on a four-year deal right now. That's that's just the reality with those tags hanging there. And so, you know, I think the Packers are looking at David Dunn saying, you have to make sure Aaron understands this. He's got really four years left on his contract. We do control him to the other side of his 38th birthday. We want to get something done. We want to work out for both parties. But we want to do this in a way that, you know, you're not approaching it maybe the way Mike McCartney could approach free agency with Kirk Cousins. You just don't have that kind of leverage. So let's not talk about um, opt-out clauses. Not going to happen. Let's not talk about a percentage of, uh, a, a, you know, a deal that is tied to the percentage of a cap and constantly recalculates itself every time the cap moves because he just doesn't have that kind of percentage or he doesn't have that kind of leverage. So you know, the Packers in a way are counting on David Dunn, just like Aaron Rodgers is counting on David Dunn. They're both counting on this guy to get a deal done. And they're both counting on their thoughts and, you know, needs being communicated by this same person um, who's really on a fence between the franchise and the player. 
And you make a great point. I'm glad you raised that because when it breaks down year to year and numbers could change, but at a minimum, it's ninety six and a half million over four years for Aaron Rodgers on that track. You mentioned Charles two years on his contract, two franchise tags. It's an average of twenty four point one two five million. So the question becomes, what are the Packers willing to do to buy peace with Aaron Rodgers when there's no other reason for them to do this? They're going to trade in a deal where they can go year to year. They have the security and the flexibility that comes from that. He carries the injury risk each and every year. And what are they going to replace it with? They're going to give him $30 million a year fully guaranteed for the first three years? I don't know why they would do that. And at some point, you have to disconnect what they think of the guy, what he's accomplished, what they hope he'll accomplish, versus what their contractual rights are and what their leverage is and what his leverage is. His only option is to retire. He can't force his way out of Green Bay. And I don't think he'd want to because for as sensitive as he is, and we saw how he reacted, and you made reference to the tweet from earlier today where he goes, hashtag fake news Tuesday, and he tries to make it look like that this is all made up. And you and I know the drill. There's plenty of other things we could be talking about and writing about, and there's no reason to doubt what you've reported on this. But he's reacting that way to something that is real. How would he react if all of a sudden he's the villain and it appears that he's trying to talk his way out of Green Bay? I mean, they hated Brett Favre, and he's not the one who wanted out. They tried to force him out. So this could be an ugly mess if he tries to push back and if he tries to talk his way out of town. Yeah, and he's. I mean, I'm sure he's cognizant of, look, you don't want to be the villain. I, I, I think most players are, to be fair. They're cognizant of not wanting to be the villain in contract talks, and that's why you put it on your agent. But, you know, you raise a good point. Trading in a deal that they do have, and it, and it's not just about the money, but as you said, the per-year average, that's a pretty sweet per-year average in today's quarterback market and very advantageous. But the cherry on top of that, as you said, there's opt-outs. You can opt out after any any year of this deal the rest of the way, you know, with really no real penalties that, that you incur, and that is a huge uh, advantage for any franchise, particularly when a quarterback is beyond you know, his 34th, 35th birthday because you don't know that everyone's going to be a Tom Brady and play you know, to an MVP level uh, you know, up to 40 years old or a Drew Brees. Now, I, I do think that you know, Rodgers probably falls in that category, particularly you know, if he can stay healthy, but um, that's, a, that's a lot to trade off. The the leverage aspect and and you touched on it. I think you know his his leverage is um, PR number one. I think there's a public relations aspect of this where um, I think from a PR standpoint, it would be bad for the Green Bay Packers to make it look like they're not going to keep this guy. You know, really where his deal needs to be in the upper echelon of quarterbacks that's a different kind of leverage. You don't necessarily have to act on it the way you do with free agency. And then as you, as you said, you know, the whole retirement aspect, which again, I think is, you know, the Packers have to know that's not realistic leverage because Aaron Rodgers isn't going to retire. He says he wants to play. Um, and there, there's every indication that he wants to continue playing. So, yeah, I mean, even, even the, the perceived leverage, the leverage of perception, that's working against the Packers is nowhere near as strong as the reality of deadlines. And I I think, you know, you and I've talked about this in the past deadlines make things happen and there's no real deadline here. 
And I don't sense that any Packers fans are going to stand up and shout that they need to give this guy more money. The fans just want the guy to be on the team. They don't care how much money he makes. If he's making more than they are, that's good enough for them. And it's all a matter of degree, whether it's $20 million, $25 million, $30 million, $32 million. They just want him on the team, and they don't want to agitate for the kind of deal that maybe the Packers realize they don't have to give him. All right, before I let you go, do you think Aaron Rodgers finishes his career with the Green Bay Packers? I do. Absolutely. I do. See, I can't close that door. I think that there's a chance he ends up somewhere else. I, I, I can't rule it out. It would be ugly. It would be messy. There's no easy way to do it. But there's a chance that if they do this year-to-year thing, he eventually says, all right, fine, I'll be Kirk Cousins. He'll be 38 when he's Kirk Cousins, but he'll push this thing all the way through the next four years and then hit the open market one time and cash in the way Drew Brees chose not to, the way that others have not really been able to because they haven't hit the market healthy and effective at that age. But I could see him try to do that. Right. I want to talk to you about Colin Kaepernick's collusion case, but let's do that another time. You've been gracious with your time now. I don't want to keep you even longer than I said I was going to, but you've had some great reporting on Kaepernick. It's a case that you and I are both following closely, and I think it's fair to say one quick tease for our future conversation. A lot of people out there think there's no merit to this case. I get the feeling you agree with me that they're quietly and persistently building something that may surprise the NFL when it's time to put the cards on the table. I would say I agree with you. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, that's the tease for our next conversation. Charles, thanks for your time. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Great work on this one. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right. Thanks to Charles Robinson. I want to get him back at some point in the future to talk about the Colin Kaepernick case. Today would have been a good day to do it because Roger Goodell was questioned at the league office in connection with the collusion case. Probably an interesting couple of hours because typically very powerful Individuals do not like to submit to any authority other than their own. And Roger Goodell, the ultimate NFL authority, forced to sit and answer questions under oath today and likely asked some very tough questions about the Colin Kaepernick collusion case, the league office's role in it, Roger Goodell's conversations, text messages, email messages, etc. Likely a long morning for Roger Goodell. Probably earned at least a few thousand of the millions he gets every year this morning. At Cowboys, JW has a question. How likely is the trade for Earl Thomas and the Cowboys? What would it take? I've heard pick 50. I wonder if Dallas could get him for a third instead. Obviously, first-round pick is off the table. Well, I mean, the reports I've seen, the Seahawks want a one and a three. But what they want and what they get are two different things. Remember this, though. Last year, when it was first clear that they were done with Richard Sherman, they didn't get what they wanted, so they kept him for one more year because they didn't get what they wanted. And now what did they get? They got nothing. In hindsight, they should have taken whatever they could have gotten for Richard Sherman a year ago. So maybe at some point there'll be an epiphany at the Seahawks facility where they say, you know what, if this is it for Earl Thomas, maybe we get what we can and we move on now. So there's a thought that because the Cowboys have cleared up $8 million or so in cap space by the departure of Des Bryant, they now can go absorb Earl Thomas. We know Thomas wants to be there. He followed Jason Garrett into the locker room. After that game that the two teams played against each so the Seattle and Dallas last December, we'll see how that plays out. I don't think it's done. I don't know that it's a first-round pick, a second-round pick. I don't know what it takes. But the Seahawks have to ask themselves, do we take what we can get? There's no other team out there that is being linked to Earl Thomas. So if there's only one team, if there's only one more year, at some point you have to ask yourself, what's the best we can get and should we just take it? 
And Sergio D has an observation. Who is this Bengals team Chris Sims keeps talking about? You know what? It's not just Chris Sims. It's Chris Sims and Rob Stats Guerrero. They both say Bengals. They both try their damnedest to influence me to say Bengals. It's Bengals. They bo- Listen to the show. Not just for that reason. I'd like to think we give you other reasons to listen to PFT Live. But both Sims and Stats say Bengals. So, good ear, Sergio D. All right, let's see what else do we have here. At Gabe56, life, how the hell does Chris Sims win this morning's draft, picking Arizona as a destination for Des Bryant, a team in rebuild mold, and a quarterback with a degenerative knee? Why not the Jaguars for Des? You know, good points there, Gabe. I appreciate that very much. I think I won the draft today. Stats gave it to Sims primarily because I passed the first pick to him. I tried to put him in a box. I tried to unexpectedly increase the pressure on Sims. Also, I didn't know who the hell to take with the first overall pick in the draft. Best destinations for Des. There is no best destination because all the seats are full. Gabe suggests the the Jaguars. And, you know, maybe if they hadn't signed Dante Moncrief, maybe that's something they would have been interested in. Maybe they would have been interested in Des Bryant. I mean, Tom Coughlin has seen what he can do in his prime. The real question is, what does Des Bryant really have left? And we won't know until he ends up with a new team. He should want a team with a great quarterback who will throw him the football even when he appears to be covered. That's the key. Throwing it accurately and confidently when Dez appears to be covered. That's the way for Dez to reestablish himself as a high-end pass catcher. At Recliner QB, why do you keep mentioning forgetting to file your taxes on PFT Live when you said you just sign off it because your accountant handles the filing or are you just trying to sound more relatable? Uh, look, I had to, here's how it works. When you own your own business, and people think NBC bought ProFootballTalk.com. NBC didn't buy us. NBC licenses exclusively all of our content, and NBC handles all of the expenses. I don't have to do anything. NBC hires the people who work on PFT. NBC pays them directly. NBC provides me with everything I need, all the technology that I need. It's great. And... They pay us a licensing fee, and I still own PFT. It's perfect. But when you own a business, you have to do quarterly taxes. So at the end of the year, not only do you have to pay your first quarter taxes on April the 17th, you have to pay any tax that maybe was underpaid because last year's calculation was off as to what you were going to make. So I had I had four checks that had to get in the mail today, two to the state of West Virginia, two to the United States government. And yes, the tax return is filed. The issue is getting the payments. I mean, they don't care about the form. They care about the cash. So I needed to get those payments mailed today. And I got my my little green and white sheets that prove that the mailing was made. I'll get confirmation when the mailing arrives. So they can't say I didn't send it. So I will not be going to jail anytime soon. At least if I do go to jail, it will be for reasons unrelated to failing to pay my taxes. So... Part of it is just kind of shtick. I don't know that I'm trying to be relatable. I just, I am who I am. I think it's fun on tax day to talk about forgetting to pay your taxes. So that's all that was. But I really was concerned. I had the documents sitting right here. I had the envelopes here. I had the checks here. I was concerned I was going to forget to fill out the checks and mail them. And let's just say that it may have happened at least once or twice in the past. So I was trying to ensure it didn't happen again. And not only by a day or two, but enough to make me nervous because it's just, it's more of an OCD thing. I didn't think they're actually going to come put me in jail, but 
you got to pay your taxes. Today's the day to pay the taxes. And fortunately, if anyone cares, and I'm sure no one does, I did. Another question from at Recliner QB, who I think is, I don't know that I would consider this person the founder, the captain, the leader of the PFTPM posse. I think this person coined the phrase. There's a collection of people, and it's like six or seven, who religiously listen to this. So at least I know there's somebody listening. Recliner QB has another question. I don't understand how the Pats get away with paying Brady outside the salary cap by having an ongoing relationship with his training company. No wonder Tom Brady takes below market contracts. Why don't other teams get around the cap by hiring players companies as consultants? And I don't know how much of that happens now. And when this Alex Guerrero stuff hit the fan last year and the Patriots distanced themselves from him, my thought was the chickens finally did come home to roost on this question of whether or not it's permissible to have a separate business relationship with one of your players and funnel money to him that otherwise circumvents the salary cap. I've wondered about that for a few years. It's quite possible that that flow of cash has subsided dramatically now that Guerrero is excommunicated from the facility, except for when he's there working with Tom Brady. But it is kind of an odd quirk that of all the things that people routinely accuse the Patriots of cheating over, this one's in plain sight. And it rarely gets any traction. This idea that there's a way to supplement Tom Brady's pay beyond the salary cap. And who knows how much he's getting from the Patriots. And it's just odd that the Patriots were persecuted so aggressively by the league over Deflategate. And something like this has never even been a serious question. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that they're doing anything wrong. It's just odd to me that there's a rabbit hole that is right there gaping. The rabbits are running in and out of the hole, and they're not taking a look at it. Meanwhile, they're making mountains out of molehills with other things when it comes to the Patriots. Another question from Recliner QB. Who's the single most powerful person in the NFL, most powerful owner, most powerful individual player? Is it Tom Brady, now that he may be leading the first revolution to come from Boston since the 1700s? You know, I I tried it yesterday, the Boston TB12 party. Tom Curran didn't like it. I'm still going to stick with it at least from time to time. The most powerful person without question is a commissioner. Commissioner runs the show. And so much of what's happened the past several years has been about underscoring the extent of his power. He has ultimate power over several different things as it relates to players. He's responsible for the league. He's responsible for the sport. He makes a ton of money, ridiculously more than any player of the game. So Roger Goodell is the most powerful person in the NFL. I'd say the most powerful owner is John Mara the Giants co-owner, because he's the chairman of the NFL's Management Council Executive Committee, putting him really at the elbow of the commissioner and in position to best influence the most powerful person in the NFL. The most powerful individual player, I don't know. I don't know. Is it Kirk Cousins because of what he's done as it relates to blazing a trail for players in two different ways? One, the wisdom of playing out the franchise tag year to year and forcing your way to the open market. He's created a path to the open market for a player who is willing to go year to year beyond the conclusion of his contract and two more seasons, making a lot of money along the way before hitting the open market. Is it Cousins because he got a three-year fully guaranteed contract without any phony years on the back end? Three years, he gets all the money, and then he hits the market again. I'd say Kirk Cousins for what he's done by way of of making the players aware of what their financial rights are. Now, Colin Kaepernick's currently not in the NFL, 
but you'd have to say he's pretty damn powerful as it relates to the NFL, as it relates to what he's doing to the NFL, as it relates to how he has managed to turn the NFL upside down in two years, whether you agree with him or not. And this is the reason why I think he's been shunned by the NFL. He made the robots self-aware. He spotted the flaw, the exhaust port in the Death Star, the ability to protest during the national anthem, prompting the NFL to confirm that, yes, players have that right. And now everything that's happened the last two seasons, flowing from Kaepernick taking advantage of a right that he may not have even known he had, but he sat, the NFL said it's okay to protest, and now everything that has come after that, underscoring the power that Colin Kaepernick has, even though he's not employed by an NFL team. Between what he's done to create one of the biggest issues the NFL has dealt with the last two years and to have the tiger by the tail in this collusion case, I'd say it's Cousins as it relates to football and financial issues, Kaepernick as it relates to general power over the league. And and really, I doubt that there's any player, current, former, potential, past, wherever, anyone who's ever played who gets more venom and vitriol within the league office other than Colin Kaepernick. I mean, that's how you judge your power, how much they hate you, how much they they uh, fret about what you're going to do to them next. And I'd say that in that regard, as it relates to the league itself, Colin Kaepernick has the most power. At Recliner QB, one more question. We know Sims couldn't pass a drug test, and I sure as hell can't either. Full disclosure, talking the devil's lettuce only here. The big question is, can you pass a drug cannabis test on a regular basis? You know, that's a very personal question. I am proud to say, and I look, I, I, it's not a matter of pride. If people choose to smoke, I don't care. It's legal in nine states recreationally. It's legal in 29 states medicinally. I can pass a drug test anytime. But if I couldn't, who cares? What relevance does it have to me and my life if I choose to smoke marijuana on my own time? If I would choose to do that. And if Chris Sims visits this summer and drives instead of flies, I've already heard that he wants to drive instead of fly because if he flies, he can't bring any of the devil's lettuce with him if he chooses to do so. I I may be in the same predicament Michael Scott found himself in when Dwight Schrute found a joint in the parking lot at Thunder Mifflin and decided to have drug testing because Michael Scott was at a concert and he took a hit on what he was told was a clove cigarette. So I may need Dwight Schrute's green urine uh, at some point in July, depending upon what Chris Sims brings with him when he comes for a visit. At Steph Boyardee, do you prefer soft or hard shell tacos? Really? All right, what the hell? Because Tuesday night, it is Taco Tuesday. We tend to go to our favorite little Mexican restaurant when we can. I go with uh, soft corn, not soft flour. I prefer soft shell corn tortillas. And not necessarily tacos, I, although it's tacos or, you know, they bring it out on the side with whatever you get. I, I'm preference, uh, my preference is the, the carnitas, the lunch portion, the dinner size way too much, uh, maybe a little extra onions and no rice, no beans. Give me the guacamole salad and then you put it all into the soft. I'm getting really hungry. I'm going to end this so I can go eat dinner. So thanks for that question. Another one from Steph Boyardee. If you had the number one overall pick and the number four pick, what would you do? Well, it would depend upon my own personal evaluation of the best quarterbacks. I would have a hard time passing on Saquon Barkley. So if I'm the Browns, I maybe wouldn't have signed Carlos Hyde. I'd have a hard time passing on Saquon Barkley if he's going to be your next Jim Brown. 
and you're taking a risk that maybe the durability won't be there. It's a lot of eggs to put in one basket. But you know what? At the quarterback position, you're taking a risk as well. And the Browns have been burned in recent years by passing on guys like Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson. But if I had one and four, maybe I'd go Barkley at one. And if I felt strongly enough about the quarterback left at number four, I'd do it. I'd do it. I think that's what I would do. Because I think for a team that desperately needs a kick in the ass, I'd rather have a guy who can provide that kick in the ass immediately. And Barkley, of all the guys in the draft, is the guy who can most immediately provide that kick in the ass. But again, I wouldn't have signed Carlos Hyde because if I draft Saquon Barkley, I'm using him. I'm not making him part of a platoon. I'm putting him out on the field. Another one from Steph Boyardee. Will the Dolphins make the playoffs in two seasons? I think they make the playoffs this year. But we're going to find out who the real Dolphins are under Adam Gase. We're going to find out quickly. Are they the 2016 Dolphins or the 2017 Dolphins? And if they keep Ryan Tannehill, is he the guy to get this team back to the playoffs? At Steph Boyardee, another one. That's four in a row. Worst one-run franchise. Browns, Bills, Dolphins, Jets. There could be others, right? Of those four, I'd say the Browns, in part because ownership can't help itself. Jimmy Haslam can't keep his ladle out of the soup. No matter how hard he tries, no matter how many people tell him, just hire people that you trust and let them run the team. He, he, he's too involved. He should just make himself the GM like Jerry Jones did. Just, just be the GM. Because at least if you are the GM, you'll learn the job eventually. I think that, and, and look, 1-31 in 31 speaks for itself. At some point, your results make it clear that, yes, you're the worst-run team in the NFL. If you can't win more than one game in two full seasons in this day and age, with parity, free agency, salary cap, something is seriously wrong. One more from Steph Boyardee. Steph Boyardee's on a run here. What irritates you more, stats cutting up his pancakes or false reporting? I'm not aware of any false reporting from stats. Stats for getting to post the podcast, that bothers me more than anything. Because that affects others. The pancakes only affect him. It's a victimless crime, unless you're sitting at the table with him, staring at this plate of three large pancakes, completely cut up into pieces, wondering what in the hell is this guy doing? Is his son here? But that doesn't affect others. Failing to post the podcast affects the people who want to consume the content. So it would be that one. One more from Steph Boyardee. What the hell? Favorite fast food joint. You know, it's not fast food. It's good food done quickly. I don't go to many fast food joints anymore. Unless they want to sponsor the PFTPM podcast. You know what? Now that I think of it, it would have to be Sheets. And they're made to order salads. And Sheets Brothers Coffee. That's food done quickly. And that's good food. Sheets. The official sponsor, not yet, of the PFTPM podcast. At at Arm 55, do you think the Bills draft strategy has changed with the huge holes left on the offensive line from the Eric Wood and Richie Incognito retirements? I still think there's a chance Richie comes back. I still think they want to go up and get a franchise quarterback. I just think they realize too many people know that's what they want to do. And it's going to cost too much to get there. So now they have to consider plan B. But yeah, offensive line, when you have glaring holes like that, unless you're planning on putting your hotshot rookie on the bench for a full year, you, you probably should address the offensive line at some point. 
at BFLOFO show. Is Aaron Rodgers' frustration with being frozen out of personnel decisions justified because he's the quarterback and thus more akin to a baseball player manager? That's a point I made earlier today. You know, if NFL teams want these quarterbacks to be essentially coaches on the field, to be the person who sets the agenda, shows up early, stays late, studies film, works hard, influences teammates. If you're going to treat the guy like quasi-management, maybe you should give him the courtesy of being involved in the management-level decisions. So I think that this isn't just an Aaron Rodgers thing. It's Tom Brady. It's any great quarterback. If this guy is going to go above and beyond and be the coach on the field, at least give the guy the courtesy. And as you heard Charles Robinson say, you know, Aaron Rodgers knows whether or not Jordy Nelson has lost a step, knows whether or not he can still play. At least ask for his input before you make a final decision. At B Flow Foe Show, how's the Ghostbusters Firehouse coming along post a progress pick? We we have now now there are I recently built the Saturn V Lego rocket. It came in pieces that were in twelve different bags. Twelve plastic numbered bags, clear bags with the pieces. So you do one at a time and eventually you got the whole thing. The Ghostbusters Firehouse has like 14 sets of bags and there are multiple bags within each numbered group. So last night, my son and I did the, 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 the set of bag one. There were like three or four bags numbered one. We got them done. I'm looking at it over there now. I'm keeping it safe. It's like the risk board with Kramer and Newman. No one's allowed to work on it. We have a deal. We're only going to work on it together. I don't know when we're going to have a chance to work on it again, but it's over there like that game of risk. And uh, not very much. There's not much there. There's not much to it so far. So we got a long way to go. 5,000 pieces. The holy grail of Lego sets. The Ghostbusters Firehouse. Lego. Official sponsor of the PFTPM podcast. Not yet, but maybe. At Brandon Moeller. If Kaepernick wins his collusion case and a term of the outcome is placement on a team, how is that team chosen? I don't know that's how it works. I don't think you can force a team to employ Colin Kaepernick. You just pay him what he would have made if he were still on a team. At Ole Hind, why are NFL players getting in so much trouble in every offseason? It's, it's actually been reduced, I think, in recent years. Post-Ray Rice, guys finally got the message. There still will be the scattered guy who gets in trouble, but I don't think it's nearly as bad as it used to be. We used to track all the arrests. We used to have a days without an arrest meter. Brandon Marshall asked me to to abandon that, and we did. I, I really do think, and I, the longest that we went between NFL player arrests was like 34, 35 days, but I really do think it's gotten better because I think the Ray Rice situation, the reaction to it has finally gotten the message through to players. At... Brian Diario, do you think Nick Foles wants the opportunity to be a starter for one last big payday, or does he actually want to play? I I think both. I think he had a chance at a payday this year, but the Eagles wouldn't trade him. Also, I think no one was interested in giving up a significant trade package for Nick Foles because there were so many other options available at quarterback. But I think he wants to play, and he wants to get paid. He should want to get paid. He's a Super Bowl MVP. Strike while the iron's hot. By next year, who knows? He may be forgotten. Maybe he won't play at all this year. Maybe Carson Wentz starts every game, and we forget about Nick Foles by the time 2019 rolls around. But you know what? Next year may be a better year to hit the market. This year was a bad year to hit the market. There were too many choices at quarterback. Maybe next year it'll go back to the way that it used to be, where it was rare to have a competent quarterback hit the market. At Niners season, why have the 49ers not just released Reuben Foster 
Are they really banking on the slim chance he's found not guilty? Now, I, I don't know what they're doing here. I think that they're buying time. And I think that they hope that that there's a way. If he is properly rehabilitated, if he pays his debt to society and his debt to the NFL, because he will get suspended by the NFL most likely, based upon these allegations, based upon the NFL's investigation. You know, they, we saw what happened with Ezekiel Elliott. He was never arrested or charged, and he got suspended. But if and when Reuben Foster has the ability to return to the NFL, I think the 49ers would like to at least try to work this in a way that allows them to be the ones who employ him. He's going to get his second chance at some point. I mean, Michael Vick came back from dogfighting, for crying out loud. Dogfighting. A pattern of dogfighting. Killing dogs that were deemed unfit to fight. Gambling at a time when gambling was a much more forbidden fruit than it is now. Vic came back from that. I think the 49ers would like to find a way where they could maybe be the ones who give Reuben Foster his second chance instead of it being, oh, I don't know, the Rams, the Cardinals, or the Seahawks. Another one from B-Flow Fochol. Would you rather cut all your pancakes before you eat them for the rest of your life or always have to button your shirt at the very top button? Uh, without question, cutting the pancakes, because I have pancakes maybe once a year. When, when, I, when I have breakfast food, I always go with the protein choice. I go with eggs and bacon. I, I rarely eat pancakes, because after I eat pancakes, I want to take a nap. So that, that's, that's, a very, very, that's one of the easiest questions I've ever had to answer. At Vab1997, who's your favorite non-quarterback prospect in the draft this year, and why? Who do you want the Vikings to take with their first-round pick? The Vikings draft so late, who the hell knows? Who knows? And Rick Spielman likes to move around. I wouldn't be surprised if they trade out of round one. My favorite non-quarterback prospect is Saquon Barkley. The guy checks all the boxes. By all appearances, he's going to be the next great NFL running back. It's Saquon Barkley, without question. At Gears of Ted, do you think Jerry asked Dez to abide by the do-right Tony Romo rule before cutting him? I can't remember what the do-right Tony Romo rule was. The do, I thought it was do right by Tony Romo and cut him. The idea that Romo wasn't going to play for someone else. I, I think this is all rele- irrelevant to, to Dez. De- Dez is going to go play for somebody else, and Dez is pissed off. And the question is, how much does this escalate? And does he land in the same division and have a chance to stick it to the Cowboys twice a year? At B. Flofo Show, Roger Goodell was deposed today in the collusion hearing. How significant is it? Look, I, it's not significant. It was going to happen. The question is, what did he say? How aggressively was he grilled? Was he painted into a corner? Did he did he get upset? Did he have a Colonel Nathan Jessup moment and admit to ordering the code red? Wouldn't that be something? You got that right, I did. It's not that that's not a very that's not a usual Jack Nicholson line. But when he finally snaps in a few good men, that's great. I need to go back and watch that. I think I have that somewhere. I think I have a DVD somewhere. Do people have DVDs anymore, or do they just watch things? On streaming devices. At Charger2443, Mike, do I get an invite to the barn for PFTPM? Wouldn't mind having my first smoke. You've never smoked, Mike? You've never smoked anything? I did make the comment yesterday, if it's just six or seven people listening to the show, we should just get together in the barn every afternoon. I'm not sure that I really meant that. We may have to have a screening procedure before, before I start inviting strangers to the property. My wife may have a concern about that. At Gears of Ted, do you see the league realistically expanding to London in the next five to ten years, or is that just a pipe dream? I I think it's a pipe dream. I think it's also a tease. It's a carrot that constantly is dangling for the folks in London, so they keep supporting the NFL. 
right? The NFL has been putting a team in London within the next 10 years for the last 15 years. I think if they ever put one, they need to put two. And I think that we need to have supersonic flight before it would make sense. And even then, exchange rates, tax rates, the lack of an attraction to live in London. I could see, let's say, a London team gets the first overall pick in the draft and takes a quarterback. I can see that guy saying, screw that. I ain't playing in London. I'm not moving to London. You're going to draft me and move me out of the country? No way. I'll re-enter the draft next year and not play for London. Would it be worth a year of your life doing nothing to avoid having to spend your career in London? For some players, yes, absolutely. I'm not going to London. Why the hell am I going to I don't want to go to London. So I think that's part of it. And I think whatever advantages the NFL would have to give a London franchise or franchises is the two of them, because I think it goes better if there are two. I already said that. I think whatever advantages you give those teams, if and when those teams are successful, then the argument's going to be, well, it's because they get extra cap space. They get extra draft picks. They get extra this. They get extra that. So I just don't think it ever works. At Jordan 2020, do you think Teddy Bridgewater makes the 53-man roster for the Jets? I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't. I really wouldn't. I really would not be surprised if he's cut during training camp because I think that knee is still not as good as it needs to be, and that's a shame because he was one of the NFL's potential future stars a couple of years ago. Let's see what else we got here. I should probably wrap this up. We've been going for well over an hour. I appreciate all the questions. Uh, Jacob Wilson, 90. Do you think the Vikings will re-sign Terrence Newman? He said he wants to play again. I... Obviously, it would be for the one-year veteran minimum. Maybe after the draft. We'll see. At Charger 2443, Mike, ever had DiSerono? Great Italian liqueur to drink straight. You can save money without the need of Coke Zero. Hey, and let me tell you, I'm a big fan of the DiSerono. It used to be called Amaretto. My mom used to drink it all the time. We, we have uh, some DiSerono floating around. Very good. Good with a little bit of Sprite. Good with a little, just a little drop or two of water. And it's fine. Uh, straight, uh, but but also uh, on the rocks. But but yes, very very good, very good, and and more potent than you would think. I haven't had any for be, between the the questions about the, the 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 tacos and talking about the carnitas and talking about Di Serono, uh I got to get out of here. All right, let's uh, let's call it. We'll do it again tomorrow. The draft is coming. Appreciate the questions and uh, appreciate Charles Robinson's time. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Have a great Tuesday evening. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.